Good morning, Grace Hill. My name is Mark. We're the Leonard family, and we'd like to invite you to join us in scripture reading for this third week of Advent from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14. Hand on the Lord was on me. He brought me out by his spear and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around it. There's a great many of them on the surface of the valley. They were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said, Prophesy to me concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling noise, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. He said to me, Prophesy to these, to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, This is what the Lord God says. Breathe. Breath come from the four winds and breathe into the slain, so that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me. The breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the house of Israel. Look how they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father. Thank you for the story of the Valley of Dry Bones from Ezekiel. Thank you that you are concerned about the dry bones of your people. Oh Lord, in this year, we do feel dry. There is spiritual dryness, barrenness, and death all around us, Lord. We're exhausted, discouraged, and lost, Jesus, and we need your protection in your presence. 2020 has been a hard year. Help us, Lord, to recenter on your purposes and on your promises. Pour out your spirit upon us that we may face despair and death with the hope of resurrection and faith through Christ our Lord. Move in our lives to fill us and enliven us through the Holy Spirit, especially strengthen and bring hope through the Holy Spirit to those facing hardship, struggle, grief, pain, and persecution. The passage reminds us that we are all in a spiritual desert of death until the Messiah came. Thank you for providing the solution to our problem in the form of a baby that grew to be a man and gave himself up for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. Merry, Merry Christmas, Grace Hey, good morning, Grace Hill Church. Hope all of you are doing well this morning. Wish we were together, but man, wasn't it great 
to be led this morning in worship uh, by a full band. And actually, if you're looking behind me and you're like, hey, where, where did all the instruments go? Um, we pre-recorded the worship this week just because we wanted to get a full band in here and we wanted to make sure we were being responsible with how many people we had um, in our offices where we record. And so, man, what a joy it was just to be led in that. They did such uh, a great job for us this morning. Uh, my name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill Church. So if you're new with us or this is the first time you're ever tuning in. Um, I'd love, I hope, I pray one day uh, that we get to meet uh, face to face. You know, uh, this week, if uh, you haven't heard, Governor Northam did order new restrictions in our state uh, that I think they start tomorrow uh, to stop some of the spread of COVID-19. And, you know, I'm not surprised at all by this, but I'll, I'll be honest, as these new restrictions come into the winter, it kind of feels like a gut punch, doesn't it? Uh, this pandemic started in March. It got real bad, but even through the summer, it started to get a little better. And I even remember saying to myself, saying to our team, oh, finally, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Well, no, we're, we're headed back into a long COVID winter, and that's okay. We're going to get through it, and, and there will be light at the end of the tunnel. But I don't know about you, but over this last year, as we have faced this pandemic, it has felt to me like a whole lot of waiting. Waiting for COVID to go away, right? Waiting for life to be normal. Waiting for masks to go away. Waiting for school to go back to normal. Waiting to do something like go to a concert or hang out with people in person without this cautious thing in the back of your head wondering if this is okay just a whole lot of waiting. And waiting is hard, especially if you have to wait for something for a long time and you don't have any control over it. And why? Why is it hard to wait for things? Why is it so hard to be content with life as it is right now versus waiting for something else to come and make it better? Have you ever noticed how when we are forced to wait for something for a long time, that it's really easy to assume the worst case scenario, right? Like, so for example, last Thursday, I had scheduled an electrician to come to my house. I needed to get some work done. He told me he was going to arrive between 9.30 and 10 a.m., so I kind of adjusted my schedule so I could be there when he arrived, and of course, he didn't come at 9.30. They never come at the beginning of the window they give you, never. But he didn't come at 10 a.m. either, nor did he did it at 10.30, despite me calling. But the guy made me wait till 11 a.m. before he came. And of course, I got agitated, and I started assuming all kinds of things, even to the point where I did get online to start looking for a new electrician thinking this is unacceptable, that I should have to wait for an hour longer than I expected. When we are forced to wait for something, it's easy for us to get agitated or cynical or actually maybe even to start to despair. You know, maybe you're single and you've longed to be married and you're waiting for that and it's hard it's been a long time and it's getting to that point where maybe now you're assuming the worst, that you'll never get married or that you're unmarriable. 
that, that God is standing in your way of this, or he's just not hearing your prayers. And despair can set in. Or I remember when my wife and I went through a few years of struggling with infertility every single month, waiting to see if this was the month, waiting to have a baby, praying every night for it. And then you begin to wonder, does God hear these prayers? Does he care? What is something that you've been waiting for, for a long time? And you're beginning to get agitated, maybe a little cynical. Maybe you're starting to despair a little bit. You know, today marks the third Sunday of Advent, a season where we remember and celebrate the first Advent, the coming of Jesus. And through this Advent season, we have been in a sermon series called With Us. And what we're doing is we're traveling through the Bible cover to cover, and the truth that we want to focus on and meditate on throughout this entire series is this, that we, as humanity, need God to be with us or we return to dust. If you remember two weeks ago, we began this series by studying the creation of humanity in Genesis 2. And we learned that God created us through forming dirt on the ground, the dust, and then breathing life into it. That the thing that animates us, that makes us alive, it is the breath of God. And in the beginning in Genesis 2, mankind enjoyed a relationship with God that was unmediated, meaning that there was nothing in between us to mediate the relationship. We enjoyed a relationship with God where we had close proximity to each other. But last week, Nick Jones preached from Genesis 3, and something went horribly wrong, right? Not with his sermon. His sermon was great, right? But humanity sins against God, rebels against God, says, God, I don't, I don't want this kind of relationship with you. And the consequences of that sin is that God distances himself from us. We even read what God said in Genesis chapter three, verse 19. He says, for you are dust and and because you have sinned against me to dust, you shall return. We need God to be with us or we return to dust. And because of our sin, God left us. See, when God is near to us, there's joy. Life feels complete. We have an ability to rest, to be content with our circumstances. But when God is far away from us, there's something that's missing in our souls, in our heart, right? We're discontent. It's almost as if we know that something is missing in our lives and we're waiting, waiting for something to come and fill that void that has been left. I don't think you can explain life inside of a sinful, broken world where God has left in in any other way. It's a place where something is missing and we're waiting for something to fix it. You know, my my life will be good. You know, everything will be fixed. My soul will be complete. You know, when I can finally afford that house, that's when it, it will happen. Or, Or my life will be good when I finally find that person to marry or when I finally get out of debt and I don't have that crushing burden on my back or 
when my spouse changes and is more enjoyable to be around or when I find a job that I actually enjoy or when my business takes off and we start turning these huge profits, right? You fill in the blank. Life inside a broken world is a life of waiting for something to fix what our souls know to be broken. And therefore, it's so easy to become cynical, frustrated, or even depressed because nothing we're waiting for will fix it. Once we get whatever we're waiting for, we'll find something else to wait for. Life apart from God is a life of waiting, waiting for something that will never come until we return to dust. But if you listened carefully last week to Nick's sermon, you would have heard him point out how God made it known, even in Genesis 3, that his intent was not to leave forever. God signals in Genesis 3 that he will return one day to be with his people, to breathe life back into our bodies, to bring wholeness back to our souls. And as you read your Old Testament, if you study your Old Testament, you read a story about God trying to draw near to his people, but only to be rejected by his people again and again and again. It's as if something broke inside of humanity and we're unable to see that true life is found when God is near to us. But every time God would call his people to obey him, every time he tried to do something, we turn away. Sinful humanity to their own demise believes that life is found apart from God, not with God. And as this story unfolds in the Old Testament, it's revealed that what humanity needs, it's not a law to follow. It's not a system of ritualistic sacrifices that act like a band-aid to our rebellion. No, no, what we need is a savior. Someone who can come and hit the reset button. Someone who can erase our sin so that God can draw near to us and he can be with us. Someone who can redeem our souls, renew our minds, heal our bodies. Someone who will show us that it is God who we are actually waiting for. And so in the Old Testament, God begins to make these promises that one day he's going to do this. And he raises up these prophets to proclaim that that one day a Messiah is going to come, a savior, and he will make it so that God can be with us again. And so this morning, I want us to study one of those prophecies. It's the one that the Leonard family just read for us from the book of Ezekiel. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up to Ezekiel We're going to actually start a little bit earlier in Ezekiel chapter 36, and we'll go into chapter 37 as well. But let's read this together and see what we read. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, I'm going to start in verses 33 to 36. This is what it says. It says, this is what the Lord God says. On the day I cleanse you from all of your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the ruins will be rebuilt. 
The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were once ruined, desolate, and demolished are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that remain around you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was demolished and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. So God is giving Ezekiel this vision of the future of what's going to happen when God sends the Savior. And here's the imagery. The land, the cities will go from being desolate, full of ruin, to where? What, what does the text say? What did it say? Did you see it in verse 35? It says it will turn into a place like the Garden of Eden. So this is the vision of the future, that God will return, he will be with us, and life will return back to what it was in the garden. But that's not our reality today. All right, let's continue in our text. Go to chapter 37. Look at verses one to three. It says this, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were great many of them on the surface of the valley. Look how it describes the bone. They were very dry. Then he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I replied, Lord God, only you know. Now, Ezekiel is being given a vision of his current reality of life in a broken world. It's like a valley of dry bones, no life. It, it, it's, it's this semblance of life that once was, but now it's like these bones are in the process of returning to dust. And God asks Ezekiel the question, can these bones live again? Can these bones and this valley return to Eden? Is that possible? And obviously, as we've already heard, uh, when uh, the Leonard family read this entire passage for us this morning, God continues in this vision to show Ezekiel that yes, one day God will bring life back to these bones. And this, along with several other Old Testament passages, gives God people this hope that God would one day return to do this. But once the promises were made, once the prophecies were declared, it was time to wait and wait and wait and fight to believe that God is gonna keep his promise and fight to believe that God has not left them. In fact, God's people waited for centuries after these prophecies, generations for God to send the Messiah to fulfill the promise. The waiting lasted so long that God's people started to wonder if God was even there and so some doubted. Or God's people began to wonder if God had forgotten about them and forgotten about his promises and they became cynical. 
Generations went by. So you had people growing up where they never had interaction with a prophet of God or they never had interaction with God himself. They just had these promises to cling to. And so generation after generation after generation, the children began to wonder, do we really believe this stuff? Man, this is so primitive of the old ages. They became cynical. They began to wonder, Maybe they had messed up so badly that God revoked his promise. They began to despair. And part of the reason the church celebrates Advent every year and the reason we do it over four Sundays building up to Christmas is because we are remembering how God's people waited for so long for these promises to be fulfilled. Right, It's why we sing the song we just sang, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because we remember that this was the prayer of God's people for centuries as they waited for the birth of Christ. And that waiting was hard. Now, you and I stand in a different place in history. We are reading our Bibles and learning about how God's people waited for Jesus to come. And we stand on the other side after Jesus came. But that doesn't mean that you and I don't have to wait for God like the people of Israel. We too are waiting for the advent of Jesus. See, here in Ezekiel, when God made these promises, he promised to breathe life back into these dry bones and to return the desolate place back to Eden. But you and I are not living in Eden right now. We are not living on the other side of this promise. We are living right in the middle of it. God did send the Messiah, Jesus, as we celebrate every Christmas. And Jesus did make a way that our sins could be washed away and our minds could be renewed and we could be welcomed into the presence of God. And logically, based on our text here in Ezekiel, we would assume that after Jesus completed this work, he would finish the work by restoring the creation back to Eden, by putting a total end to the brokenness and suffering of this world. But that is not what Jesus did. Jesus came, he went to the cross to wash our sin away, he redeemed our souls, he guaranteed us with eternal life to be with God in that place where creation is restored. But then he left again, but he didn't leave us alone. As John 14 reminds us, he didn't leave us as orphans, but he gave us his spirit as a way of securing us. That, that he has not left us alone, but that he is calling us as his people to continue to endure in this broken world a little longer, to continue to wait before he returns again to make all things new. You and I live in what theologians call the already not yet of this promise of Ezekiel. We have already seen fulfillment through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but we have not yet seen fulfillment and that this place has not returned to Eden. And the question is why? Why did Jesus leave us here in the middle of his promise instead of on the other side of it? And I believe that we'll discover the answer to that question by also asking the question of how. 
What can we learn from our text this morning about how God's people should wait for God to do what he has promised he is going to do? How do we wait? And I believe that in answering that question, the question of how, we actually will also discover the answer to why God is calling upon us to wait. Living in a broken world is hard. It's disheartening. I mean, we experience suffering and loss and disappointment and illness and evil. I mean, the list could keep going. And the longer we experience these things and the longer Jesus takes in in returning, it's easy for us as God's people, like God's people of the past, to doubt. To wonder if God is even there if this is even true, to wonder if God is good, if he allows all this evil and suffering to happen in this world, to wonder is, if this is just a man-made religion, to begin to look to the things of the world to fill what's lacking in our souls rather than God, because something, because sometimes it's just hard to trust God in the middle of the waiting. And it's normal to struggle with that, completely normal. It's why waiting is really hard. So what can we learn this morning about how God calls us to wait for his return? And in answering that question, we're also gonna learn why he calls us to wait, all right? So how does God call us to wait? That's what we're going after this morning. And I have three things, three ways God calls us to wait that I want us to see here in Ezekiel 37. And the first one is this. Number one is obey obey. Maybe not the most popular word, but obey. God calls us to wait by obeying his word. And I'm not just talking about the little everyday type of obedience. That's important. But I'm talking about the big, what is the purpose of my life? What is the mission of my life? What has God called me to do? What am I going to do with my time here on earth type of obedience? All right, look at this verse for me, Ezekiel 37 verses four to eight. I'm just going to continue in our passage. It says this. He said to me, God is saying to Ezekiel, prophesy concerning these bones. You know, the valley of dry bones he was looking over and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I have been commanded. And while I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew, skin covered them but there was no breath in them. If you notice here in Ezekiel, and if you listened when the Leonard family read the entire passage for us, before the dry bones are able to come back to life, two things need to occur. An act of the bones themselves to obey the the prophecy and come together and an act of God to breathe life into them. 
in the vision, the prophet first prophesizes, right? Proclaims the word of God to the bones. And, And what do the bones do? They start to come together and they position themselves to receive something from God. Now, there is no life in the bones without God. But there is a sense of obedience here. The bones hear the word of God and they act. They posture themselves to receive the breath of God. Right? It's interesting how in Genesis 2, it was God who formed the dirt of the ground so he could breathe life into it. But here in Ezekiel, the bones themselves position themselves to receive the breath of God. They obey and respond to the word of God. And the question that I want all of us to ask ourselves as we wait for the return of Christ is this, are we obeying the word of God? Do we believe that Jesus will return and we will be with God one day? Like, is that an actual anchor for our life? Because if so, we need to ask, are we positioning our bodies? Are we posturing our lives to receive this from God? Or are we positioning our bodies and posturing our lives to receive something from the world? Right, let me unpack what I mean by that. As we said earlier, we are all waiting on something to fulfill and complete our souls. And what that means is that every one of us is posturing our lives in such a way that indicates where we think our souls will find it, right? If we believe that our souls will be fulfilled and made complete through things like wealth or marriage or career or starting a business or whatever else it might be, then when we wake up every single day, the aim of our day will be to position our body and posture our life in order to receive those things as we wait for them to occur. But if we believe that our souls will be fulfilled and made complete by God himself, then when we wake up every single day, the aim of our day will be to position our body and posture our life to do the things that God has called us to do. And and here's the truth. If you are a follower of Jesus, God has placed a significant calling upon your life that will shape and impact every single day of your life. And God has called his people to wait for his return by obeying this call and positioning themselves every day to fulfill this call. You know, God made it clear to me in my life when I was in high school that I would uh, go into the ministry. And when I got to college, I I detoured from that call a little bit. I, I wanted a career that not only would be fun, but would also be very financially lucrative. And so I started to pursue that. And I actually found some success with it. I believe this is what would fulfill my soul. And so I positioned myself in order to receive that from the world. But God brought that to a screeching halt in my life because he reminded me that he had placed a call in my life and that this call that he placed in my life was not going to be financially lucrative. But obedience, what obedience looked like for me was to position myself and to pursue every day the thing that God had called me to do, believing that my soul was not going to be fulfilled by a huge salary, but rather by doing the things that God had called me to do every day. And so I said no to some pretty huge opportunities to obey God. 
See, as we begin to look at how we should wait for God, we discover why God has not returned yet. It is because God has sent all of us on a mission to share the good news that at the cross, we can have our sins wiped away and we can be welcomed back into God's presence. The good news that the fate of mankind does not have to be just returning to dust. God has called us to wait by positioning our bodies and posturing our lives in such a way that we can be the ones to prophesy like Ezekiel to the dry bones of the world to call them to repentance and to receive for them to receive the grace of God through Jesus. God didn't call us to wait by consuming the things of the world, but by getting on the mission that he has called us to do. And so the question that I want all of us to wrestle with today is this, how are you waiting on God? Is your life currently positioned to fulfill this call that God has put on your life? Like, do you see your every day as joining the mission of God or is your life currently positioned to just accumulate and receive things from the world? One of these things will fulfill your soul and the other will lead you to dust. God has called us to wait for him by obeying the mission that he has placed on our life. Is your posture before God one of putting your yes on the table? God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Whatever it is, no matter what lifestyle that requires, no matter what that means for where I live or what I do, my yes is here because I believe that my soul finds its contentment in being right in line with your will and call in my life as I wait for Jesus to return. Number two. So number one was obey. How do we wait on God? We obey God's call on our lives. Number two, we gotta pray. We have to pray. Look at Ezekiel 37, verses eight to 10. Let me read, read verse eight again. Ezekiel says, as I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says. Breath come from the four winds and breathe into the slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Now we said there are two things that needed to happen for the dry bones to come to life. The first was the bones had to position themselves to receive from God. And the second is that God himself has to breathe the breath of life into them. Now the word for breath here is the Hebrew word ruach, which literally means wind or breath, but it's used throughout the Old Testament to refer to the spirit of God. And the truth is no person will be made new, no soul will be fulfilled, no call will be effective without the spirit of God on it. And so yes, obedience to God's call upon our lives is one thing, but without the spirit of God, there is no life in it. This is how dependent on God we are. This is how ineffective we are without God. Without God, we will return to dust. 
And so as we wait for the return of Christ, as we endure this broken world, as we seek to be obedient to the things that God has called us to, we have to not only position our bodies to obey God, we also have to position our bodies on our knees before God in prayer. Praying that God would make his will clear. Praying that God would help us to endure. Praying that God would make our efforts effective that he would save more people, that, that he would send Jesus to return quickly and put an end to the brokenness and suffering of this world. Does your prayer life indicate that you believe without the spirit of God, there is no life? And so what I would like to do right now, what I want us to do right now, is I just wanna give to those of you who are on our Zoom call, uh, this morning, who are participating in our worship service via Zoom. I want to put you in a breakout session for about 10 minutes. And I honestly, I just want you to pray together. Just jump into the breakout. Um, it might be the same breakout as you're greeting together. And just pray together for the next 10 minutes. I want you to, to pray uh, that, that God would give you guys perseverance in this broken world. To pray that God would clarify his call on your life to pray that God would bring joy to our souls as we wait for him, to pray that God would help us to wait and that Jesus would return soon. So just spend those few moments right now just applying what God has to say to us this morning uh, immediately. Spend time in prayer. And if you're joining us this morning via YouTube or Facebook, uh, this is a time where you can right now just pray silently to yourself or with your other people. You can pray with the people in the room right now these things and in about 10 minutes we'll come back together so go for it right now all right i hope that that was just a really good time of prayer uh for you now when we were in the sermon before i said i had three ways or how how we wait for god and uh so we said we got to obey we said we have to pray and then number three is we have to do it together how do we wait for God? We, we obey, we pray, and we do it together. Look at Ezekiel 37, verses 11 to 14. It says this, it says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, Our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. This entire prophecy from Ezekiel 37 and vision is directed not to an individual, but to a group of people, the house of Israel. And the Bible teaches us that as the church of Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, then, then you are a part of the people of God and that the things that God calls us to, he calls us to together as a people and not individuals. So far, we've talked about the way that we wait on God is by obeying God's call upon us and by praying God's spirit to be on that. And this is something that cannot be done alone. 
This is something that we do together. Listen, the Christian life by God's design, all right? So we can't, can't get out of this one. The Christian life cannot be lived alone. You cannot grow in Christ by yourself. You cannot fulfill God's call on your life without other people. You have been made by God to need others in your life, to be a part of a community. God's promises come to us in our community. And so if we want to wait on the return of Christ with joy and faithfulness, we must do so in community with the body of Christ, with the church. And this is not like, you know, surfacey, say hi to people once a week at church. Let's just be acquaintances, niceties, things like that. No, this is live life together. Deep friendships, be fully known, know others, make an effort to connect with one another on a regular basis, encourage each other, help each other as you wait, help each other as you pray, help each other as you fulfill the call that God has put on you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace Hill, if you're part of the Grace Hill Church family, God has put a call on us as a people, and you have a role to play in that. And so we need to connect. We need to get into each other's lives. We need to reach out to one another. We need to help each other position ourselves to receive what God has for us, and we need to pray together. And being a part, uh, being, doing this in the midst of a pandemic is making it more difficult, no doubt. It is challenging but it's all the more reason why we need each other. Like, I think we need to begin to rethink how we approach church. Typically in our culture, it's easy to think, okay, the church is a place that I go or it's a group of people that I'm a part of so that I can receive something that I think I need right, so that I can receive teaching, or I can receive knowledge of God's word, or I can receive shepherding, or, or whatever it is, so I can be fed spiritually. And yes, absolutely, those are things that I pray is happening as a part of your involvement with Grace Hill Church or any other church you're a part of. But I think we need to start thinking of church as not something I receive from, but something that I am, I contribute to, that I have a significant role in. That, that I don't show up to church or I don't connect with other people just to receive, but I do it because I know people need something from me. That I, I give the gift of my presence in this community. And so this is why we are retooling our community group ministry uh, to be relaunched here at Grace Hill uh, on the second week of January. Our new pastor of spiritual formation, Evan Snyder, has been hard at work increasing the numbers of our community groups from about five groups to 11 groups. Uh, they're in the midst now of training new leaders. And we're working to ensure that these groups can thrive using online tools like Zoom as we wait for the pandemic to end. And we're making it abundantly clear that the point of these groups is to give people in our church the space to connect with one another, to be known to, to go deeper than just being acquaintances, to start to live the Christian life 
together so that we can link arms, wait on Jesus, and fulfill the call that God has put on our life, right? You cannot do the Christian life alone. If you've got a problem with that, take it up with God. It's his design. And so this is why if you call Grace Hill your church home, you need to make sure you're part of a community group starting in January, right? It's why it's worth carving out one hour of your week to connect with your brothers and sisters in Christ because your soul needs it, right? This is a part of what it looks like to posture your body and position your life to obey God's call on your life, to make the time to be connected to your community. And so if you want to make sure that you are in a group starting this January, all right, go to gracehillchurch.com slash groups and fill out the form. If you were in a group previously, or if you're a member of our church, we're already putting you in groups. You don't need to fill out that form. But if you're unsure if you're going to get placed in a group, make sure, just go fill out that form. We'll receive it and we'll make sure that you are in a group. Family, this is a hard world to live in. We are waiting for Jesus to return. And God has promised that he will return and that he will complete that vision that we read about in Ezekiel. He will return and make all things new. But God has called us to wait in the middle of that promise because he has a mission for us. He is a call that he has placed on our lives. And so I challenge you this week to take some time and reflect on these questions. Reflect on, am am I positioning my life to receive what God has for me or what the world has for me? Which one? Am I praying for God's spirit to be upon my efforts? And am I trying to live this life alone or am I connected to a community. If you've ever felt like your walk with Christ has been dry, hard, hanging on a thread, I encourage you to spend time honestly reflecting on these questions. Let me pray for us. God, this morning, as we read in scripture about how your people waited and waited for the fulfillment of of this promise in Ezekiel. God, I just pray that we would be encouraged at the fact that you kept your promise. That although they waited for centuries, God, that that you never fully left them. That you never went back on your promise. And God, we find ourselves in a similar space. God, we we stand on the other side of the return or, or of the first advent of Jesus. And so God, we We praise you that in and through Christ, that there is forgiveness of sins and that, God, you guarantee us life in your kingdom forever. But God, we're waiting for that day where your kingdom will come. And so God, we pray for that. We pray that Jesus will return soon and bring an end to the suffering of this world. But God, in the meantime, I pray your church would be faithful I pray that we'd be faithful to obey your word and your call on our life and to position our entire lives to do the things that you have called us to do. God, I pray that we'd be prayerful people who know that there is no life apart from you, that we can't do anything on our own without your spirit. Help us to rely on you. 
And God also, Lord, help us not to give in to our culture that says, the, the, that says you are stronger if you can do things by yourself. It's a lie. And so God, I know many of us are busy and I know many of us, it's hard to fathom giving one hour a week to a community group. But Lord, I pray that you would bless our community group ministry here at Grace Hill Church, that God, in these groups, people would be known that you would create connection in our church and that, Lord, through that, we would encourage each other to persevere as we wait for you to return. God, we love you. We praise you for Jesus. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.